You're listening to the Language Leaders Podcast. Hi, and welcome to Language Leaders, the place where we share ideas, inspirations, and insights all around language education. Now, today I'm with Natalia. Now, Natalia, I'm going to get you to say your last name just because I get it wrong last time. No problem. It's Yashtuk. Yashtuk. Okay, we're all learning Polish because Natalia's uh, background is from Poland, although she's been many years in uh, the UK. In fact, she started as an English language teacher at the Language Club. She moved over to the UK and has worked in product management at Pearson. She then moved into LearnLight and has worked through a number of roles, including head of learning and head of products. So Natalia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited and looking forward to our chat. Me too. I know that we've talked a number of times about product, about what's happening, and I felt this was such a great opportunity to really record and, and kind of gather some of these insights. What I wanted to start off with is you have this wonderful experience, and maybe I can just run through some of those different experiences, and if we can kind of frame that as the end, that not the end goal for you, uh, you know, I'm sure there's uh-huh. an exciting career for you ahead, but you're in this head of product role, but I'm quite interested how your experience previous to this is actually influencing the way you think about product. So you've started in language teaching, so how long were you actually language teaching for, and and what did you get just get more of a taste of that and then were like actually product management is really the place I want to be I started teaching when I was at university one of my three degrees is in English linguistics I love learning I love now academia and I was doing a teacher qualification and firstly through various sort of internships and apprenticeships I ended up as a language teacher and I was teaching both or actually three groups I was teaching five and six year olds 12 year olds and adults so different. And I've, I've been doing it for a very, very short amount of time, but it just gave me the complete appreciation for the complexity, not only of trying to teach a language, trying to learn a foreign language, but also like the differences, right, be- between those different groups of people. And and it really reinforced my love for education. Always thought that I would do something in this space. And almost by accident, I ended up in the UK at Pearson, actually. I was doing an internship there so that I could graduate from my master's degree in Germany. So I did move around a bit and I was only supposed to be in the UK for three months. I ended up, well, it's now 16 years and counting. <laughs> so you stayed a little um, longer. Yeah, yeah a, little, a little while longer, a little while longer. But I did sort of stay true to that that passion of, of education. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I've been doing this all my life and I believe I'm going to stay with an EdTech for, for a long time um, to come. Fantastic. And so how does... That language teaching background now, how do you feel that that impacts the way you view product and the way that you view learning and, and, and actually maybe provide a little bit of context around the business that you work with so that sure. there's kind of an understanding of kind of what does learning and, and product look like in your particular field? Yeah. Okay. That's a complex question. So to take it step by step, I think I find that my experience teaching a language is one of the elements that have contributed to where I am today. One of the things I've done a lot in my career is actually trying different things and sort of lateral moves within EdTech. It's been teaching, but it's also been 
sales within academic context. It's been project management and product management for many years, being an editor, and then finally ending up with efficacy, which is basically evident thing that actually what you create and what you produce generates the results you are expecting, right? So all of those elements, I feel, have given me a different understanding or, or flavor for what, what needs to be combined in a successful head of learning than head of product role. And to then answer the second part of your question, I have actually talked about it to many CPOs and CLOs in world-leading ed techs. We have this kind of small group that we meet every now and then. And, and, and I remember being one of the more junior people in this the sort of chief group asking, well, how, how do you handle this learning being one play in one place and product being in another place? Like, how, how are you handling this? And education has had this conversation or is in the process of addressing it. And for some, it works really well. For others, they're still exploring. But there is this concept, which I disagree with, mm -hmm. that the way you design learning and what works in learning somehow has to be separated. How do you design the experience of using any of the supporting technologies, for example? I kind of always disagreed with this being two separate worlds. And in a way, it's kind of been my mission since joining in a head of learning role to showcase that connection between learning and product. And it has effectively ended up with learning evolving into the overall strategic role of, of, of product. We still, of course, are responsible for making sure that what, in, uh, what we create is of the highest quality, brilliant methodological insights and inputs going into how we design things, that we follow the learn like empowerment method throughout and so on. But we also, from day zero, consider what is going to be the experience that a learner is going to be going through end to end. From the very first moment they start the journey to when they graduate onto a new thing, maybe with that, maybe not with that. And then how actually the final thing, which is also often missing, which is the service design, how does that form part of the solution, right? So it's the learning side, it's the experience, and it's how it's been delivered. All of these elements, to me, form part of a successful product. So that's, that's how we ended up where we are. <laughs> and you can kind of see that. And even when I was writing the book Langtech, there was, it was quite obvious the differing stakeholders have different sort of friction mm. points within the ecosystem. If you just want to give a quick outline of LearnLight, you can kind of see what corporate language training has slightly different from, say, B2C language teaching, is that you have a client that you also need to satisfy so product yeah, that's right. uh, and learning could actually be a little bit different in that mm, context. Mm. that's very true that's very true and and you know it's been again one of my biggest learnings to be purely in a b2b context to understand the difficult job of satisfying the needs of multiple stakeholders mm -hmm. because your clients are not your end users and vice versa but we are actually combining all of this within product at LearnLight specifically which has been an evolving process so within product we've got the learning experience team which is responsible for both the learner and trainer experience as well as for the portfolios so what mm. is it that we're going to put out there in, in terms of language, interculture, and interpersonal skills. So it's the ex market experts. But we also have client experience as part of our product because, again, there is no clear-cut distinction between one and the other. Yes, they, we do have separate teams looking at these, but they are within product because ultimately what you report to clients is directly what learners and trainers are doing to ensure learner success. And learner's starting point is not just their own. It's not just their own goals that they're trying to meet. There will be a set of expectations that their employer will place on them or their learning process or the availability of hours or the language you studied. So all of those things have to work in sync. And the more complex I, I find the service that you deliver or the more you serve global uh, clients and learners, 
the models need to be in sync and mm. the sort of and the story that you build throughout all of those three different journeys have to completely align. You cannot be talking to learners about a different thing that you talk to your trainers or to your clients about. So having this now as one team has really uh, created a, a really powerful mix. And the whole thing, the nothing I'll say is that the whole thing is sort of wrapped around with learning and business impact. That is our brand new team that is responsible for making that connection, right? Between what works in learning and what works for our clients in business mm. terms, right? And business impact. So, so it's that course that we create the experience teams and then the impact that brings it all together. Yeah, there's a lot to pull together. And I can <laughs> see how that actually could be quite hard to find sometimes, even in one individual. And maybe yeah. that kind of goes yeah, back I'll to why they're the separated. Judges, so, <laughs> you know whether that works. But it's, yeah, it's, been a, it's been intense, right? You know, I've yeah. been a little like two and a half years and it's been, it's been a pretty intense journey. But it does feel like a journey from strength to strength. And we are certainly, mm. when I just look at my team and, and how they grown, it's, it's incredible in the the connections that, for example, the portfolio specialists make around the technical experience of a product or the technical product managers make in terms of choices because they understand the learning process better. Like that, yeah. that is incredible improvements in that space. What I've heard from you is that bringing product and learning together was a really important part of that strategy to make those two worlds stay in sync and feel mm -hmm. complementary rather than in opposition to each other. What are the backgrounds really of maybe a typical product team and the product team you feel is best for Langtech solutions like yours. It, it sounds like you've definitely had to bring people that have a teaching and learning background inside the product team rather than keeping them in two different places. I find that it just works both ways and I wouldn't even restrict it to just sort of learning and product backgrounds mm -hmm. or skills. I think what's been successful for us is that sort of cross-pollination of ideas and backgrounds but also bringing a strong, strong commercial perspective, mm -hmm. which again, I had seen in some businesses being somehow constrained to the growth team only, right? Or to the sales mm -hmm. team only or to marketing. And when product management is somehow reduced to being the delivery mechanism for the ideas that are generated or, or brought, brought forth from the market. And I find that the only way that product can be truly successful as, as a division, as a team, is to turn from that cost generator into revenue generator, right? That you need mm. to be thinking about it as a team that actively opens up new opportunities and markets for for your company. And you need to think have this way of thinking, even if you're not working on a commercial product, because the whole point is to try and get this to the right users to meet their needs in the the most appropriate way. So whether they pay for it or not, you still you, it's it's still the same commercial type of thinking that is really important. When you say you're bringing also business development people inside, like that very much also sounds like collaboration is, it's always considered important, but this seems very crucial. How are they involved in the team? Is it more like regular meetings or is it people that actually have a part of the product team that are bringing that experience and you're kind of pulling them from maybe they were in business dev and and then the growth team. So it really, again, it really depends. It's a combination of all of these elements, I would say. Nothing matters more than uh, joint strategy sessions and understanding and joining up on what are the ultimate goals we're trying to reach and achieve. Mm -hmm. Big part of that transformation has been creation of a proper product vision and strategy that sees us through or, or covers all of these elements and bringing in the relevant stakeholders, not actually to review it, but to co-contribute to how this is going to look. Technology is obviously our main partner in terms of the how, right? Like mm -hmm. they are, it's a tip where one team, we're only not one team because it will be 
classic, but we generally co-create all of this together. And obviously growth is our main stakeholders because they are both the people that are the most intimately connected to the day-to-day needs and Mm -hmm. frustrations and all of that from the market. And they also know, you know, through, and again, because I've experienced this as a salesperson, I truly feel like I empathize in a way that sometimes I have seen in the past, some product learning people don't because they Mm -hmm. they haven't experienced that need of having to close any deal. They bring that true understanding of what the market needs and how they react to your product. And something that I often tell my team is there is no good product unless it's also a product that sells. That is unfortunately or fortunately, because again, we want to give access to our products to everyone. This is how you build a product. It has to be something that works in the market. And that third element is the third team that we work with day in, day out, which is operation, because they are the ones that are responsible for the service delivery. They make Mm. the magic happen and ultimately day to day. They are the ones supporting learners when they struggle, supporting trainers. We have to work fully in sync. And yes, it does mean a fair amount of number of meetings, but it mostly means alignment on what are the main goals that we're trying to achieve and sort of asynchronous collaboration to make this happen. Again, one of the things I've learned from interviewing lots of other businesses was in some businesses, there's quite a lot of conflict between these two teams, particularly the pedagogical side. And I talk about that in the, in the Langtech book as well. Like that was one of the biggest yeah. pain points is products is kept off. Products is often seen as part very closely aligned with business development. So on the commercial side, not necessarily on the learning side. So it's kind of interesting. And that then learning often feels marginalized and feels like they're reacting to stuff mm-hmm. and not being talked to and talked with. And it sounds like if you have that constant partnership, then you're not waiting until the last minute to unveil their apparent strategy that is possibly in conflict with somebody else's. So I can see why this collaboration is early and throughout is the most important aspect. In a way, I think just to, just to just to respond to that, I find looking at stuff like this as a dichotomy, a dichotomy, a bit of a like that's what gets you in the corner that you you know you can't get out of because it's a healthy tension. Let's put it this way, right? That's how I generally like to look at things. Like yes, of course, there will always be you're working towards slightly different objectives, slightly mm-hmm. in terms of how you're evaluated on them. But ultimately, you're all meeting the same needs of learners and clients and trainers and so on. That often comes with actually collaborating together. So for example, whether that product or learning people joining sales calls or contributing to tenders or contributing to other areas, that they are understanding what are the questions that are being asked of us. And then the commercial team understands the value that they get from people that truly live and breathe the the expertise. And and that that's how we found the most success when accelerated when we became and it took some work, we mm-hmm. became active contributors to the sales process and to how we define us, ourselves as a company, right? Because you need to you need to give that value to be seen as valuable. It, it kind of yeah. works both ways. So that's been so far the most successful uh, I think change for us, shifting that balance towards being an equal player and in helping to sustain and grow the business. Yeah, I really can see why bringing people into those sales calls is really effective because then you're both winning the deal rather than the sales team won some deals and then learning has to somehow help them get the next lot. So in yeah. sort of separate yeah. buckets. Sure. Very interesting. What are the kind of most important, and I think this aligns with what you were saying before, what are the more important metrics for clients then? And again, because this aligns with how do you bring both sales and learning in the same boat yeah. is if you've got similar 
outcomes that you're going for. So can you tell me a little bit about that? We actually very, very focused on finding that alignment there, both in terms of how we work internally, but also what we show and drive with our learners, with our trainers, with our clients. And we have actually developed a Learn Life Impact Framework, which mm -hmm. is focused exactly on standardizing and bringing together those different layers of insights and metrics that clients care about. So traditionally within LNG space and also global mobility, which is another sector we work with as well. You know, of course, clients often still prioritize things like, you know, learner engagement, retention rates, satisfaction. That's a given, of course. And, you know, we have this data instantly available, you know, through our analytics engine. Of course, no problems in any combination you want. Then there is this focus on actual real world language application, I would say, mm -hmm. because, you know, one thing is knowing the theory. And we were talking earlier about my daughter and my mission to get her to speak Polish. The way to achieve it was to help her break through in her mind the sphere of failure and fear of you know not having practiced production of language enough so she yeah. understands everything and it's so much more when you're an adult learner mm. and when you're trying to use the language in a professional context i mean that barrier is so high because you fear so much you're going to make a fool of yourself you're going to be judged for mm -hmm. using the wrong term or misunderstanding an idiom or whatever else to us that middle layer of the framework which is all around progress it's mm -hmm. not just this the kind of the scores or the moving through the content itself, the achievement, but it's self-efficacy. And that is what a lot of exit companies do not think about mm. consciously enough. And self-efficacy is effectively your belief that you can apply a given learning in a specific context. You could say it's self-confidence, but it's not exactly that, right? It, it's really that feeling that you know, and you're equipped with the tools and you're confident that you know in this context, this is going to work. And to help learners get to that place is extremely, extremely important. And that's why we made it an explicit element of the impact framework. And then, of course, the pinnacle of corporate learning is the impact. And for us, it's a combination, again, of individual and business impact. And what we mean by that is learners will have their goals and clients will have their goals. Mm -hmm. And if we're all super lucky, 97% of them will align. But often <laughs> there is a... <laughs> There may be different ambitions, some of them not even articulated to the employer. So we want to understand the learner really, really deeply and help them by increasing their motivation and showing that we care about their goals to help focus on how we help them achieve their own goals. And then, of course, with the client, it's understanding what are the KPIs that are trying to move by engaging with us. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's in the ROI conversation, but often it goes beyond that. It goes into things like talent attraction and retention. It goes into things like increasing your efforts around employee sort of sense of belonging or increasing diversity of your team even mm -hmm. because again when you think about learn like something we haven't talked about it language skills is one part of communicative mastery that we build we very much focus on intercultural and interpersonal skills mastery as well so this is all communication for us so it might yeah. be different reasons why someone is, is working with us and we want to make sure that we tap into and connect all of these together can I just clarify a little bit about how that impact framework kind of pulls together? Can you just help me fit yep. those into different places? Yeah, so it's effectively three levels that we're looking three at. Levels. So it's yep. engagement layer, which engagement. is uh, satisfaction, uh, at the bottom, but mm -hmm. it's not something we discount in any way because mm -hmm. I'm the last person to say that we shouldn't care about learner engagement. Unless mm -hmm. you're engaged, you're not going to learn. Mm -hmm. So that is the foundation. Then we've got the progress, which mm -hmm. is made up of you know achievement and and self efficacy. So those mm -hmm. two elements of sides of the same coin and then in terms of that final performance layer mm. it is the individual competence i guess we could call mm. it and then the business performance that that we're trying to affect and for different clients it will work differently some of this data is super yep. easy to get from you know platform access 
others, we need to be consciously working with our clients on setting out the baseline and understanding whether we have had the impact. Mm -hmm. So it is work in progress. This is exactly where, where and how we want to be running those conversations. More importantly, this is what we use when we think of new product development as well. We need to be clear on how it helps move at least one of those layers, if not multiple. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I can, again, see how important this is to uh, align it strategically with an organization before you really start making progress with them. 100%, um, yeah. Are there any other frameworks that you can think of or people you can think of that kind of lead us in the right direction when it comes to product? There is about a gazillion of frameworks in product, <laughs> and there is this running joke that there's nothing that a product manager likes more than a new framework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's easy to reduce the process to a framework. So I would say to me, it's almost less about which framework you're using, but mm -hmm. how to cut through that noise. Mm -hmm. And I find that often to me is the most helpful when I actually engage with experts and leaders in this space. There's a number of heroes, but I would say Teresa Torres or Leah Therin are great people to find again on LinkedIn or somewhere else like mm -hmm. that to, to follow. You know, Lenny's podcast is fantastic for building your understanding of what building great products is. But I would say it's almost as important to listen to leaders and, and business leaders from that intersection of technology and business, because those are the people that are thinking about the future of work. And there I would probably point out, you know, Stephen Bartlett or Mo Gadot or Ali K. Miller and uh, Cassie Korsikov for great two voices in AI, actually, and are very approachable. And if you feel like you're not, this is an area that you still feel quite uncomfortable uh, with, I would say follow them um, because they will help you get over that that line of discomfort and to start thinking of what I can learn from others. But I will point out two specific ones as well. And one is this idea of thinking big, working small, which doesn't sound extremely groundbreaking, <laughs> but John Cutler from Amplitude, he talks a lot about how we've lost this uh, focus or this yeah. connection between the grand vision and then, then the small things we work on. And it's that middle bit uh, that helps teams understand the strategy, how are you going to be taking decisions in a fairly volatile space? What are you going to say no to? So I've really been thinking about this when sort of reshaping our product strategy. I also wanted to understand what the kind of biggest problem areas that you feel that product can can solve with these. So where's, where does product sort of fit within uh, what we've discussed and particularly that impact framework? Like what's the role of product there? I find you know, something that we've um, recently done in our strategic sessions around where technology is going and so on and so forth is, is to kind of divvy up areas that product can really impact. And mm -hmm. we've categorized them into three areas, which focus around experience, insights, and automation. Mm -hmm. And actually starting from automation, because this is probably the most uh, you know simple to understand. This is all about making things easier, faster, cheaper, more effective, more efficient, but mm -hmm. it's taking existing processes that we can we yeah. can improve. And within EdTech context, it's all about reducing the admin, whether mm -hmm. it's on clients, whether it's on learners to stay on top of their coursework, whether it's on trainers to help them prepare sessions and to react appropriately and so on, whether it's in data insights over analytics. Mm -hmm. So it's that next level. It's like the so what of data, not just mm -hmm. the action, not just the pure report. And then within experience, I think product has this whole massive area uh, of possible improvement within this personalized learning space. And it's the learning and assessment. And we talked about this earlier when we talked about blurring that line between learning somehow being one thing and assessment being another thing, right? And now having the opportunity with various tools to actually help completely remove that as a separate eight item somehow. I'm not talking about high stakes assessment. Some of that mm. is always going to remain. But in terms of formative learning, making feedback and an improvement part of your journey. 
And then, of course, all of the sort of assistance that are now possible to be created relatively easily, although maybe we're going to get to talk about it, you know, in terms of uh, AI-powered NLP technologies. And then finally, insights is this area that I'm also really excited about because insights is the new stuff, stuff you haven't mm. done before because you were not able to, you had no technical mm -hmm. capacity to be able to advance. And it's anywhere from reimagining learning the absolute basics of what learning is, how it happens, what are the building blocks, mm -hmm. to more practical applications around content generation, adapting to new industries and markets on the go, adapting to what's happening in the session on the go. I mean, it's so exciting in all of these three areas is what any product team with an edtech needs to be really thinking about. Yeah, I really agree. Like particularly on the new capabilities from this last year to this year, the, the capabilities and opportunities inside a classroom and even outside the classroom are I don't even know kind of where the where the end is. There's this this real feeling that things can accelerate and improve. So again, with you on those three things, all of those, I can see really great improvements on experience, insights, and automation. So what are you hearing in terms of what your clients want? So this is where you feel product can really make a difference in a language business, particularly, I guess, corporate clients. What are they sounding like they're wanting more of and needing more of? There's always been this conversation around how we can make learning even more personalized and mm -hmm. adapted to learner needs. And that becomes even more, much more of a possibility, of course, with adaptive mm -hmm. technologies nowadays. So this is something that keeps coming back again and again from clients. Maybe new sort of approach to reducing time to fluency mm. is another topic of conversation. How yeah. can we actually help learners get to that point where they feel that they have been progressing and they have the self-efficacy to be able to apply their new learning? Certainly, there's a lot of interest around predictive analytics going beyond what is the day, but really focusing on what can I learn from this data to, ad to adapt the future experience so that I achieve better results. And that's extremely exciting area for us in product. And I'm really, really understanding that yeah. moment, or it's never a moment, the series of moments that leads to a learner being engaged or disengaged, continuing mm -hmm. or dropping out. So it's all of those, all of those elements that become more and more of an opportunity. But I will say one thing that we cannot lose sight of and that our clients are always conscious of, and that's stability and security of any mm -hmm. technology. In all this hype and what ifs around AI, especially in B2B context, like the biggest responsibility that we have is to provide solutions that are stable, that are secure, yeah. that are not infringing on anyone's rights. That's we know exactly what happens with learner data every moment of the way. And a lot of new solutions that are popping out there cannot really answer those questions yet. I think we all need to be like super excited and absolutely leaning into those new mm -hmm. technologies, but also be asking the tough questions because this will this will absolutely resurface. Yeah, I think it's probably making sure that we're aware of what is, what's the conversation going with, with between clients not that don't even involve us. And security is one of those, those ones that pops up again and again, particularly yeah. as you move up the levels with the kinds of clients you work with security. I mean, again, some of the RFPs we've been getting from a technology perspective have been increasing. Absolutely. And we yeah. just have to, yeah. to keep on leveling up. Yeah. And you say, you know, these conversations don't involve us. I think, I mean, they, they increasingly do. Like, as you're saying, whether it's through large contracts, global contracts, and so on, you know, that is one of the main aspects that need to be, we need to reassure our clients with, and they need to be absolutely sure that we can deliver. So yeah. that is, and maybe increasingly more so, we all and our sales teams and our product people need to feel confident that they know how to answer those questions mm -hmm. because technology complexity is increasing like literally by the second. We need to get a lot better at knowing how to ask questions and how to assess 
the answers that we're getting back. Yeah. No, I've, again, fully with you on that. And I think we only get the communication usually in terms of the form of a, an RFP or you know, mm -hmm. the occasional mm -hmm. questions, mm -hmm. but these these companies are going to specific conferences <laughs> where they're learning about security. And so they're coming back with all of this knowledge. Right. And I think That's we're needing right. to, to keep up with those. Very interesting. So it sort of leans into that same question, but then what are you hearing about how do clients want to see AI used and what, because it's all very well us getting excited about it because we can see all of these new opportunities either in product learning and in, in business, but how do clients think about it? So I would say, and again, reassuringly, mm -hmm. actually, it mostly falls in similar buckets. So mm -hmm. perhaps it's due to the nature of clients who work with or the size of the clients we work with. There is less of that immediate rushed need to jump into the next first thing that uses AI in a certain way. And a lot of people we work with are very discerning around mm -hmm. understanding the solutions they invest in. I think this is the big difference between B2B and B2C. We are obviously a leading company in this space, and we want to make sure that we are always leading with impact over hype. That's again, mm -hmm. where we go back to that impact framework, impact over hype. We need to know this works. And of course, the, there's actually some super exciting things coming out in the next week, maybe <laughs> actually, but I can't really talk about it yet. Yep. I'm going to leave it to our marketing team to reveal. Sure. Um, but it's because we know we're ready. Yeah. And that's because, you know, hey, you know, we need to get this thing out uh, or else. We're talking about in the same spaces, but it's more around, okay, is there a way to improve or mm -hmm. get better insight or better sort of, is that kind of factor, you know, times two, times three, times 10 of yep. the impact rather than can you do this one thing you've never done before? So I think picking the right problems rather than AI being everywhere is picking the right problems and that being a good solution for that particular problem. So yeah, it's, it's easier very, said than very done, right? Nice things. Yes, it is about the need and not about the technology, isn't it? But yeah, yeah sometimes that feels lost in like the mainstream narrative. Unless you kind of dig into the needs, don't just go for the solution for the sake of it. I think so. And and sort of out of curiosity, then, how do you see that playing out over time? Like, how do you see that those technologies and trends shaping the future of, say, in your particular area in corporate language training? Certainly one of the main applications we're seeing already is that natural language support. It's massive. The potential of it for language learning is incredible. You get to experience much more personal and comfortable way of progress because you can mm. speak. You don't have to necessarily know the exact language and you can just try to get with this like maybe tutor type support at the right answer. This is a very exciting area for us, which again, we're working as well. The one thing that I find people sometimes think this is going to replace is that need for human connection or the value of a language trainer. I disagree with that because the, uh, I, think, I think we might have even talked about it at uh, one of the previous conferences with actually another person as well, yeah. where we talked about the fact that it doesn't matter how good technology is, you still need to be motivated to do it. Yeah. You still need to still that feeling of whether it's, whether it's the tutor or maybe your peer group, which again, we haven't necessarily talked about, that sense of motivation and co-creation of learning together is still one of the biggest drivers of effectiveness of learning. And all research shows you that technology isn't there yet. We know it's improving. The one currency that will matter in like five years time, 10 years time, mm -hmm. it's human connection. Like yeah. Nothing is going to matter more. Almost everything else might be automated. But that human connection, what it means to be human and what it means to build relationship, like that is going to be the critical element that again, you know, you need that that human element to make it happen truly. Yeah, I think that 
it's we're having to get much better at describing what it means to be human and what a human mm. connection mm-hmm. looks like and i think yeah. sometimes people that are more on the analytical end of the spectrum i think really underestimate that because it fits in the warm fuzzy basket and that's only been a warm fuzzy basket because now we're having to kind of come up with this language but people are not logical robots that make these perfect decisions we make all of these kind of weird we actually make very emotional decisions and then we verify with logic that fits our case yeah and i think that remains the case and it's why i think the human teacher and human trainer and it's not one of those things to be like don't even think about technology i think humans and technology are going to continually combine and technology is continually going to like it's all going to get augmented but it's the 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 whole point is I feel like we're looking at the wrong things to look at. Is that a human? Is a technology? But like, mm-hmm. how can we augment and, and make things better together? And in fact, yeah. actually, there was research shared yesterday. I want to say it's from Wharton, who works with uh, BCG, tracking their consultants and, and their use of AI. They found that the most successful consultants were those that used AI to embed in their process, where either they kept the things that they were great at mm-hmm. and outsourced to AI the things that they weren't great at, or when there was a complete back and forth. So you never it was never about outsourcing and then you don't look at it critically as a human. That's where you didn't get the optimal results. And that's, I think, how we need to be thinking about technology. Where can it augment us yeah. so that we can keep as much of time as we can for the actual things that make a difference to us as humans? And that's a beautiful vision, right? Yes, I'm all for yeah. automation such things that I don't need to do so that I can focus on being human and building a relationship with someone else. Yeah, what a, that that seems like a great place to finish. It's certainly a vision I really share, Natalia. And I think LearnLight's going that way, LearnCube's going that way. And I think there's a lot of companies that are in on, on that vision and, and are moving the language education sector in a very positive, exciting way. So thank you so much for your time today, Natalia. Uh, one question that people will be interested in, in you, where, where's the best place to connect to you? Where do you tend to hang out? It's absolutely LinkedIn. I'm there right. all the time. <laughs> it's, it's my place so please find me there and i will happily happily connect it'll be very easy to find natalia at LearnLight. but if you want to spell your last name for those that are interested in <laughs> learning polish how would they spell your last name natalia j-a-s-z-c-z-u-k and often when i say s-z-c-z people think i'm correcting myself i'm not it's the four consonants altogether <laughs> polish is <laughs> I love that. I love that. So thank you so much again, Natalia. And from me at LearnCube, really thanks for for listening in. This is a new and exciting uh, podcast for us, language leaders. So please share it, please subscribe, and we'll see you there next time. Bye now.